It's true, Lord. <clears throat> we can only imagine. We haven't been there. But we know it would be spectacular because the Lord of glory will be there. And so, our Father, I pray that you would receive these sacrifices of songs and prayers, spiritual songs, as a fragrance in your nostrils from hearts devoted to you. It has been our privilege, Lord, to assemble together this morning in your presence. We want you to know that you are the honored one. You are the the great God of glory, the creator of heaven and earth. And you alone, Father, are able to strengthen us and help us in times of challenge. And I pray this morning as we open your word that it would be a word to us. It would be a strength to our hearts. That it would pierce our lives right through, Father, to the bone, to the marrow, and get to the very heart of the issues of our lives, I pray, because it is your word to us, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, anyone who um, says that Christianity is for wimps or for people taking the easy way out of life or that coming to Jesus will lead you to being happy all the day, knows nothing about Christianity and hasn't been with me this week. I must say that um, I'm grateful to the Lord who has entrusted me with a great stewardship. And that stewardship is understanding to a greater degree with a greater compassion and heart, what it means to be a Leaf fan. And so, I stand here before you, offering to you a, a pastor who understands the deep, deep wounds in your heart to a greater degree. And I want to thank the Lord for that, that trust that he has granted to me. The Christian life, I would submit to you, is like a UFC cage match. Uh, Somewhere you're uh, battling Rampage Jackson and George St. Pierre in a no-holds-barred cage match. Now, for many of you who are too old out there to know those names, maybe I should use Whipper Billy Watson and and Dick the Bulldog Brower or uh, Ernie the Cat Lad or or some of those guys. Maybe you know those guys. That's what the Christian life is like, isn't it? It's, it's like we're in this cage match and we're being buffeted back and forth and beat up and afflicted and hassled. It's, the Christian life is like the mixed martial arts of the soul. And, and with that as a backdrop, the Apostle Paul ships off an email to the brand new converts of Thessalonica because he's concerned about the challenges that have come into their lives and, and he, he uh, outlining, of course, the real-life realities of, uh, of the Christian life, they discovered that real life, since becoming a real Christian, is still like real life. In fact, 
It may be that it's even more raw. And so um, he entitles, I think, his email, the Who Are the Last Ones Standing? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And of course, this is the ongoing flow of a, a longer letter that he writes to the Thessalonian brand new believers. They've formed a brand new church and He's concerned because he isn't with them, and how are they going to be doing? And so he starts out in this section, verse 1 of chapter 3, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that... We were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of God. I, I um, note uh, as, a, as an overview of this part of the letter that uh, the Apostle Paul is really zeroing in, I think, on verse 8 in terms of his emotion, saying, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. He talks about the big hope that that they presently are and the, the big hope that he trusts they will be and, and, and will continue to be to the end. And so he literally says to them, I'm on top of the world. Not because I, I heard that things are tough there. Now, you need to know that uh, something you maybe don't know is that the Apostle Paul was a, a fan of the Berean Bruins and and they, there was this, uh, this chariot match that was going on, and the Broad Street Bullies had beat them up. And, but he wasn't, he wasn't happy about that. That's not what he was happy about. And he wasn't happy that he had heard that they had issues with him, supposedly because they thought maybe he didn't love them because he hadn't visited them enough. No, he says, I am on top of the world because you are standing firm in the faith, standing your ground in the Lord. Even though you're new believers, you you haven't been following Christ very long, I'm excited to hear from Timothy that you're standing your ground. And by the way, not everybody does. In fact, a lot of people fade 
when the going gets tough and there are afflictions and there are trials and there are persecutions. And they go into the quiet night and you never hear from them again. But he says, Tim has brought me great news. And I had to fire off a note to you and tell you how excited I am and to encourage you to keep on standing, to be big hope people. I know in our congregation here, there are, there are lots of people who are going through difficult times, afflictions and trials. And some of you are in family situations where somebody, some member of your family is desperately ill. It's really tough. I know that others of you are concerned about family members in a variety of ways. I know that some of you are facing really difficult times in life, at workplace, wherever. And the Apostle Paul is wanting to encourage all of us today to be big hope people. And there's a good reason for that. There's a good reason for standing firm. And, and he wants to, I, I, in this text, he's given us, I think, several characteristics, but I want to point out four characteristics of people that I I think he tells us will be standing at the end. Don't you want to be among the last ones standing? Don't you want to be there when the Lord himself comes back? Don't you want to be among those? Well, there are certain characteristics that, that leap out of this letter to us. And the first is this. Those who get above the shock of having challenges from which they thought salvation might rescue them. Isn't it so that, that really the first thing that comes into our minds when trials come our way is, shouldn't this have been easier? Maybe I'm out of step with God. Maybe God is, is angry with me. It, it certainly looks like he is or it feels like he is. Seriously, it was easier before. Okay, so... You got blindsided by how hard it is to do life in Christ. That's what Paul's saying to them. Hassles and hurdles. I know you, you thought that living for the king of kings would make things ease up. And suddenly the heat is on. <laughs> he says to them that, um, I don't want you to be unsettled in verse 3. By these trials. Uh, this won't make it any easier on the, in the ouch factor of your life, but, but maybe it will help by what he says. See, what he was really concerned about in this whole idea of them becoming unsettled, unglued, is that, that maybe they'd want to cash in Christianity for a refund. You know, I, I think we ought to turn this thing back in, Paul. And he says, no, wait a second. He says, I don't want you to become unsettled. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you about this stuff. We didn't sell you a bag of hot air that, that somehow uh, it would be easy street coming to Jesus Christ. And I, and I hope that you won't buy in. He was concerned. I hope you don't buy into the Christ haters that are all around you saying, why don't you turn your back on Christ and come back to your old, old life? It was easier, don't you think? Don't do that. He says, I, I told you when I was with you, and this is hard to hear, we were destined for this. 
Trials aren't a glitch in your life. They are part of the Christian experience and a vital part. In fact, the word destined here is uh, more colorful than just you were scheduled for this. It, it describes being nece- it was necessary in your life. These are, these are divinely appointed. It, it's not as if God is angry with you or God has withdrawn from you or God has turned his back on you when trials come your way. No, these were, these were appointed. These were necessary that, that you might grow stronger. Samuel Rutherford uh, uh, wrote this. I I find it most true, he says, that the greatest temptation out of hell is to live without temptations. If my waters should stand, they would rot. Faith is the better of the free air and of the sharp winter storm in its face. Grace withereth without adversity. The devil is but God's master fencer, to teach us to handle our weapons. This you are destined to, Paul says. This is not something that should, should surprise you. The nature of ministry, the nature of following Christ, these are divinely appointed sufferings. And he says, by the way, if these trials look like persecution, it's because they are. That's what he says here. In fact, when we were with you, We kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, unsettles the godless. When it comes into your life and you start to live the good news, you start to live the gospel, it bothers the sinful people around you. The sinners around you oppose your righteousness because it makes them feel like they don't measure up. Not only do you have the godless opposing you, but Satan himself gets in the action. We're going to look at that in a few moments. And by the way, Christians themselves don't always act godly. Sometimes they're fleshly. But know this, Paul says, when you share in the sufferings of Christ, you also share in his glory. And sharing in the sufferings and the afflictions and the hardships and the the hurdles and the, the hassles are evidence of true faith. And an earnest of the glory to come, a deposit, a promise. And by the way, God appoints it to take the points and the prickles off your own personality. Now think about it. Whenever you're really under fire, whenever you're afflicted, whenever you really need someone to turn to, what are the type of people you turn to in those moments? Do you turn to Mr. Rogers, who's having a wonderful day with his sweater and his hush puppies? Looks like he's never had a bad day in his life. Is that who you turn to? I don't think so. It might be all right for little kids, but that's not who we're looking for. When, when life is really pressing on us, we're looking for someone who has been under affliction, who has been through the fire, who, who has faced the obstacles and the hurdles and the rejection and the hassle and the trials and the persecution. And we go to that person. We realize they're still standing by God's strength. They might have something for us. These things 
Paul says, you were destined for. Don't be surprised. Don't turn your back on the faith. He points out, secondly, that um, those who will be standing at the end are those who make the right choice between temptation and trust. Notice what he says here. I was afraid, verse 5, halfway through, that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Do you realize that not only do you have the hassles of people around you, but Satan himself seizes upon these opportunities for the, the, where you, whereby you are caught in a time of discouragement or fear or disappointment or misunderstanding or people misreading your motives. That's the time. He prowls around, it says, like a lion, looking who he will devour. You don't think that he's looking for people who are on the mountaintop. Hey, look at me in my sweater coat and my hush puppies. Everything's going great for me. You don't think Satan's bothering with that person. No, no, he's, he's looking for someone who's deeply discouraged, someone who's really hurting, someone who's clearly in pain, someone who is really under pressure, someone who is being persecuted and tried even in spite of their righteousness. That's who he's looking for. To devour. Paul says, I, I was afraid that in all of this hassle that you're facing so early in your faith that you might you might cash it in you might you might come back for a refund that you might be tempted to give up and fall satan has a sophisticated system of spiritual espionage you know he's checking you out got a whole series of creatures serving him, watching. They're watching for the tough times. That's the time he pounces. And if in some way he can just have a little effect in your life, he's satisfied with that. In fact, um, he, he might not be able to make you turn your back fully on the Lord. But he, he might be able to, to devour you in such a way you say, you know what? I'm not turning my back on Jesus, but I am giving up. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm not sticking my life out there anymore. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not putting myself out there and... In, in, in uh, the spotlight of righteousness, I, I'm not, you know what, I'm going to back away a little bit. I'm going to lay a little bit low. I don't want to be in his crosshairs. He's devoured you a bit. And Paul says, I, I don't want our efforts to have been useless. He, he's using the word efforts there as wearisome toil. The, the sweat of the gospel, of, of the hard work, the work of ministry, the work of reaching people one at a time. The effort, the sheer effort that this church puts into reaching every single person that comes to Christ. It's, it's in terms of labor and man hours and prayer and work and effort and sweat and opposition. Most companies would quit. So let's get a new business. It's wearisome toil. 
Although I was concerned that it might be, it, it might be um, a complete wash. It might be a complete failure. See, Satan is the, the supreme one of the evil spirits. He opposes God always. He never has your best interests. Ever. He can bring sickness. He takes away the good seed of God's word that is planted in people's hearts. Mark 4, verse 15. He cultivates evil people and puts them around your life. Matthew 13, 39. He blinds the minds of unbelievers to the truth of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. But the end time promises bring us great hope because this is a time-limited thing. God restrains him now and puts him away for all eternity. That's the, that's the great hope. That's, that's the blessed news. That's the glorious hope. But in the meantime, Paul says, you know what I'm excited about in terms of Timothy's news to me? He brought me news that you're being faithful, that you're standing on your faith. You've been convinced somewhere along the line to give in to God and, and have faith in him. That's the good news Timothy has brought me. The only way, by the way, beloved, to survive a time of testing, trials, and persecution is to have faith in God and to believe that that you've been destined for this, that God is in charge, He knows about your life, and He's running the show. Okay? That you can trust Him because He's in charge. That's what faith is, to, to trust in God, to believe that He's in charge. Paul says, Timothy comes back and tells me that that's the way you're living. It's just such a relief to him. And he's so joyful to know that they are living by faith. Full of trials, full of persecutions, full of obstacles, full of barriers, full of frustrations. Christian life is warfare. This is why discipleship is so critical. It's not enough just to bring people to faith. But the work must be completed. That's why he says in verse 10, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. They have deficiencies. That's why it says, that's why when Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 3, 16, he was talking about the Scripture and saying the point of the Scriptures is so that the man and the woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The implication is we're not thoroughly equipped. And so from the Scriptures, Paul wants to make sure that they continue to grow in their faith because the afflictions, the trials, the persecution, the opposition, the onslaught of Satan's attacks will continue. They need to know more about God. They need to know more about, about the evil one and his ways. We don't want you to be ignorant, Paul says, of the ways of the evil one. He, you need to know more about how people react and interact. To correct what is off track. In fact, the word that's used here about completing what they lack is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, for mending of nets. Well, the third, I think the third uh, reality here in terms of those who will be standing at the end are those who are moved from self-taking to love-giving. 
It's a one-two punch here. When Timothy comes back in terms of this standing in the cage match of life, of Christian life, he comes back and he says, Timothy told us about not only your faith, but what else? And your love. The only way you will endure ever all the garbage you have to take, all the attempts to cause you to be weary in well-doing is for you to have a heart that is overflowing with love for people. That's the only way you're going, to be able to, you're going to be able to stand up in this. That's why he says and goes on to say, I'm praying about this, that God will, that God will allow us to come back and supply what is lacking in, in your life. And in verse 12, he says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. He wants um, them to know what it is to have the love he has in his heart. You know why, why we need that? Because we're spiritually bipolar people. We are. We're a mixture of flesh and spiritual. It depends what, what day we bump into each other. This is what makes the journey so difficult. What day are, what day are you bumping into someone? Sometimes they're, they're very fleshly. Other times they're very spiritual. I've got to be honest with you. Friday night, it was one of those spiritually bipolar evenings for me. It's really hard to be spiritual. Thankfully, I have a really godly wife who said, how long does one stay discouraged when the Bruins get put out of the playoffs? So, well, it's... it's it's not something you can know for sure, Lynn. It's just something you need to be nurtured back to health. And I want to thank you so much for all the compassion that, that I have felt from the church this day. Just poured out, just a pouring out of love to me and concern. And it's been a blessing to me. These moments. But sometimes we really, really annoy each other. It says that in the Bible. While we were yet still annoying, Christ died for us. That sort of says that. Doesn't it? This is why this love overflowing thing really matters. And by the way, you can't generate this yourself. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I'm praying that the Lord will cause your hearts to overflow with love for one another and everyone else. Ooh. We really, really love each other. We'll put up with the stuff, the trials, the hassles, the hurdles, the objections. I've found this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which came out of his book, Life Together, written in 1938, and is one of my lifetime favorite quotes that, that hangs around with me. I just keep it around with me. I look at it a lot. It expresses the whole issue of this challenge of, you know, would, would it, wouldn't the Christian life be easy and ministry be easy if it, if it wasn't for the people? Right? Don't you, do you ever get to that place? You ever, you ever think that at all? Am I the only one who once in a while that crosses my mind? You know, it would be so much easier if it wasn't for people. But wait a minute. The ministry, Christian life, it is. That's what, it's, that's what it is. It's about people. 
And Bonhoeffer really zeroes me in on this every time I get wonky on this whole thought. And and he says this, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intention may be ever so honest and earnest and even sacrificial, God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Is that not one of the all-time great quotes? And so Paul says, you know, you've moved from being a self-taking person, a self-centered person to a love-giving person. That's something unbelievers are unable to manufacture. If the center of a man or a woman's life is himself or herself, he or she will be a person of inner weakness and instability. Mark it down. But if a person, a man or a woman, has learned to love the Lord and then obviously love their neighbor as themselves, that person will be an individual with a firm inner foundation to build everything he or she needs. Stability, strength, Confidence, etc. And finally, um, the picture I think he, rounding out the picture he's painting of the last one standing, has to do with what he says in verse 13. May he strengthen your hearts. It's about the strong hearts. Who's going to be standing at the end? It's the strong hearts. Pushing the gospel ahead is is the hardest work of all. Uh, Embracing the transforming work of the Lord in your life is, is not for wimps. It requires all of the power of the divine initiative of God. And that's why in this most amazing way, the Apostle Paul addresses to our great God this concern on his heart. In verse 11, he says, Our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. He he puts them together and, and asks them in prayer in concert to do this work in people's lives. It is one of the, the early expressions out of the scripture and out of the New Testament community of the divinity of Christ. Don't ever let anybody in the critical nature of the scriptures or Christianity itself suggest to you that, that it was a late idea that Christ was divine. This is one of the earliest letters. This is one of the earliest church realities. This is one of the earliest doctrinal presentations of how the early church thought. And he wasn't trying to argue or convince them that Christ was divine. He's just, it's implied. It's just known. It's just accepted. It's just believed. It was the makeup of the early church. Our God and Father and the Lord Jesus, they will do this. He, God, will do this. One God, three persons. How will you be standing? God makes you stand. In this most excellent phrase when he says, so that you will be blameless and holy, which really would better be translated blameless in holiness in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. 
he links together the coming of the Lord and the description of those who will be around by describing the Thessalonian believers, saying that, that you are You are the blameless in holiness. It is because you have been set apart by God that you are viewed by God as blameless. Positionally, this is who you are. And now he's calling on them to practice what they are, to practice who they are. Practice what's on the inside, the position that you have in God. Make that your practice. It's an amazing description. I hope you allow yourselves to, to, to linger on the thought of that because he's saying this to you. If you, are, if you belong to Christ, you are, in God's view, blameless in holiness. He has set you apart for his service to serve him and to love him and to be with him forever. That's what gives us the big hope. And readying you for his presentation when he comes to receive us. All the trials and all the tests and all the attacks and all the temptations and all that comes with it. All of that is readying us because you are blameless in holiness. Because positionally that's who you are. Now practice who you are in light of these circumstances that you find yourselves in. And Paul says, by the way, I... I'm beside myself. I'm so excited because you are doing this. And then he says, not if or we hope or I'm not sure, but, but it would be nice when our Lord Jesus comes. You know, you might have a lot of hassle around you right now and a lot of trials and a lot of persecution and lots of pain, discouragement, frustration. But Jesus is coming again. The big hope that we have is the confidence we have because God has declared this to be so. This is on the, I'm not, I'm not telling you this. It's the authority of God's word that Jesus is coming and with all his holy ones. And what I like about this, you know, we could strain at some gnats here and, and, and get to teasing each other about some theology. But to be honest with you, I, I think it would destroy the beauty of what Paul has said. You know what he says? Someday. All of these people who have turned their back on God in spite of his grace and his, his open arms and, and embrace and, and inviting people. All of those people who have rejected him, have hassled you, have made your life miserable. and All of the afflictions and all of the persecution and all of the trials. And the evil one who has constantly been prowling around and trying to devour you. You know what? Someday... It's only going to be about the Lord Jesus Christ and all of his holy ones, all the angels and all the saints. That's what's going to be. So take hope in that. Take joy in that. Take comfort in that. Continue to keep on keeping on because this is just for a time. But there is coming an eternity when it's all going to be about Jesus and all his holy ones. And if you are part of the blameless in holiness crowd, you're in. That's the news. That's the good news. That's the message of this text. That's the encouragement to God's people. That's what this letter was all about. 
Someday, it's all about God and his holy ones. And my heart prayer this morning is that every single soul in this room is one of his holy ones. He doesn't make this hard. He doesn't make it a, an obstacle course to come to Jesus. It is finally coming to the place where you recognize in your life that you are a sinner and that you have rejected Jesus and you are going your own way. And that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and that by turning your life over to him, seeking forgiveness, you can come to him. The teachings of the end times are not for us to play mental gymnastics. They are to express an urgency of how you live now and what you do now to prepare for the reality of then because it is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. It's going to be all about Jesus and those who are his, his holy ones. That fixes our hearts, don't you think? Under any afflicting circumstances. That's the joy of this text. Are you... Are you readied for this? Our Father, I pray a blessing on this company of people who I know you love. And I pray, Father, that you would strengthen their hearts, that you would draw those who, who are at the present time not following you to yourself this day. And for all of us under affliction and hassle and trouble, let us fix our eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the hassle. We know that, Father, although we can only imagine, Jesus wasn't imagining. He knew exactly what it would be like and exactly what it's going to be like for eternity. And he endured the cross because he had his knowledge of the joy that's set before him. Lord, put that joy in our hearts in the midst of trouble. Because someday, it's all about God and his holy ones. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.